Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, a beautiful afternoon for a good game of football now, and it looks as though we have the making of it. Barnes has come in. And welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast. Uh, Jordan, Matt and Tom all reflecting on Saturday's 1-1 draw at Bristol City, which uh, means it's now three defeats in 19 for Watford. Guys, how have you been uh, since we last spoke? Good. It's good to be back. I think it's been a couple in a row that I've not been here for now. So, um, yeah, pleased to be sat here talking again about Watford. It's a shame we're not discussing a, uh, a victory, though, but... Um, good to be here. Yes, all good. Thank you very much. Good to be back. Um, and nice to be talking about something positive away from home again. Yeah. Is it, uh, Jordan, you've missed a couple of good ones. You missed a, a Jake Livermore double goal game. I'm not sure if you'll ever get one of those again. No, I shouldn't have come back, should I? I think I've, uh, I think I've drinks down the throat. Well, that's okay. We have got something just as rare to talk about this season. Anyway, uh, a penalty for Watford. Our first penalty in 371 days. But uh, who's really counting? Tom Delibashiru taking it as well, by the way. You had that one written down as... as I, I don't know any, anyone suspected that would be the be the penalty taker, but um, very well taken. And um, an away point is always considered uh, reasonable, isn't it? Yeah, I think considering how they kind of dismantled us at, at Vicarage Road, it was... It was a tough one. Um, it was it was a game that I think there's quite a lot of apprehension around, especially if you if you watch that first fixture. Um, but we yeah we did okay. It was it was up and down. It was mixed. It wasn't as consistent throughout the ninety minutes as we'd like. But we um, we've got things to improve on, of course. But it, it wasn't terrible. Mm. Tom, what did you make of that uh, penalty? Was it firstly rightfully given? Yeah, definitely a pen. He's got his arm up there. Um, I know they were sort of. Fairly unhappy with it at the time, Bristol City, but I don't think they could really have any complaints about it. He had his arm in a very unnatural position. Um, so, yeah, no complaints on that front. Very surprised it was Tom Deli Bashiru that um, got it. Obviously, the penalty gets awarded, and you think, oh, crikey, yeah, it has been a long time since we've had a pen. Who's going to take it? Thought it might be Ryovic. Um Did you reckon? I wasn't sure if I, I couldn't really see Ryovic taking it. I don't know Unless why. We somehow other than... did the the failed Thierry Henry, Robert Pires way to make more attack. <laughs> I can you imagine? <laughs> um, I thought it would be, either be him or um, 
Espria or Martins, maybe one of those one of those three. I, I definitely didn't have Tom Dilly Bashiru down. I'd probably have Jake Livermore over him. There was a moment where Wesley Hoot kind of pointed towards a spot and the camera kind of zoomed in on the feed I was watching. I thought, is Hoot pointing to, to say he's taken it? Which I, which I thought was an even more interesting choice. But um, can't, no, really, no real complaints on the, the execution from Tom Dilly Bashiru there. That was pretty, uh, he looked pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he did very well indeed. Uh, trying to... Uh, Take a leaf out of Troy Deeney's book, perhaps. At least from the penalty-taking point of view, nothing else. Yeah, please don't take any leaves out of Troy Deeney's book. <laughs> a few good performances, despite the the, the draw. Um, Georgie Chakvatatsi's best performance, according to some. Um, do you agree with that one, Tom? Yeah, he was very good. He's been good for a little while now, and I think he's one of those players that's ended up being a bit of a standing agenda item for us. Um, the interesting thing is that those performances have been split between the kind of left-wing role and the central midfield role. And I think he's proving himself to be a really useful piece to the team in that respect that he can fill in on either. I just said that um, I thought the penalty would be taken by uh, Matthias Martins, forgetting that he wasn't playing at that stage. And it was Chak Vatadze, so ignore that. Espria or Chak Vatadze... Uh, sorry, Espria and Chakvatadze were the two kind of flanking Ryovic, weren't they? Um, I think what is impressive for me or what catches the eye for me with Chakvatadze is he always seems to mix the kind of silk and steel of real hard work and endeavour out of possession. And then when he gets on the ball, he's got that bit of quality and, you know, nearly arguably should have had a, an assist for Espria when he demonstrated both those things in the first half. He nicked the ball off Tanner, who was the right-sided centre-half, and the nice sort of ball poked across the go, uh, face of goal for Espria, who probably tries to do too much and, and gives Max O'Leary a chance to, to block it. But yeah, he, he was really good. And I think if you were Val, you'd probably feel fairly vindicated in how you've utilised him this season, that he just seems to be kind of getting better and better after a bit of a stagnated start. Mm. He's certainly been getting better since he started this season Georgie and and I mean he was chosen ahead of Martins wasn't he so I mean warranted that one Jordan yeah no I think he's, he's earned it he's he's done really well um, he's looking to have found his feet a little bit more I think he does look more comfortable more effective in those central positions when he drifts inside and he started on the left but he really comes alive in that central spot I think and I understand him kind of having that wider start and, and, and using him there but um, if he can get on the ball in those kind of more central positions, I think he looks more, a lot more dangerous. Still a little bit hesitant with the the final touch or getting a shot away. Sometimes it kind of feels a little bit rushed or just a little bit forced. Um, but I, I think the build up to that that chance that you mentioned there, Tom, where Espria kind of took a little bit too long and tried to drag it around the keeper, I think that was a, a really good example of what he can do. Good carrying, um, used to the outside of the foot just to kind of drop the ball in there and, and perfect spot. And yeah, more of that. And uh, he's going to keep himself in the team. Bristol City were featuring uh, Scott Twine for the first time and uh, he got the goal back for them. It was a bit of a, a mess at the back, wasn't it? A few culprits involved in it. Ryan Porteous, the key one. What did you make of their goal and how disappointing was it that we let them back in in such fashion, Jordan? Yeah, really poor. <laughs> Um, I think it started with that kind of uh, Ryan Andrews just didn't win the header did he on the, on the kind of the ball forward and drops down Porteous makes a hash of it and then uh, un- uncharacteristically uh, Jake Livermore gets dunked on by Scott, Scott Twiner doesn't he and that's kind of a difficult situation Twine's coming in with a bit of momentum and can lead towards the ball and Livermore's just trying to shield that that space and stop the 
the header happening, but just a just a mess of a goal, really. Um, the defending was no no foul gone. in that. Do you, I mean, it, it looked like he was no. climbing over him. No. Well, I mean, Jake's standing his ground and kind of got a real wide base, hands out to the side, trying to protect the area. But I feel like if you're not going to attack the ball, there should be a bit of lean, leniency there in favour of the the player going for it. Really, otherwise, yeah, I, I think it's a bit soft. Sorry on on that. It, is Livermore not a little bit culpable that he seems yes. to just be trying to stand his ground sort of back into Twine rather than actually jump and, and contest the header? And he kind of makes it a little bit easy for Twine, I would say, who's not got the height advantage on him. I think he's just slightly misread the situation mm. a little bit and feels like that's going to be enough. I, I don't think it's... I think he knows Twine's there. I just doesn't think he... I don't think he anticipates Twine being able to leap and go for the ball as he did. Um, I'm sure it's a frustrating one for himself, but he's definitely, you know, partly partly to blame there. He he, he played his part in that goal. Um, obviously, there's the somewhat comical dive from Hamer after the ball's co- crossed the line, but there wasn't much he could do either. It was it, it was a bad piece of defensive play. Um, it's just one of those unfortunate unfortunate situations where you kind of got three actions there, and every one of our every one of our players kind of makes a mistake or makes an error that leads to it continuing on towards the goal. So um, frustrating, but. Um, on a day where defensive play was mixed, I thought at times structurally we looked okay. You know, we kept our shape, and we, sometimes we look we look comfortable, um, especially considering how kind of cut open we were by Bristol in the, in the last game. But uh, some of those individual mistakes um, and some the use of some of our defenders in terms of the way they deployed was also a little bit chaotic. And yeah, I, I think it was disappointing one to concede. A surprising amount has been made of the uh, Ben Hamer dive that you referenced there, Jordan, and a lot of kind of football banter accounts sharing that video, lad Bible, that sort of crap. I don't know about you guys, and I'd be interested to hear what you think, but I just think it's a complete non-issue. He's not getting there. He's either having a laugh or just making a, an attempt to show, oh, look, I tried everything, but he's not bloody getting there. He's on the floor on the other side of the goal. I just don't, I don't understand why it's become a thing. It looks somewhat comical, but what I would say as well, if you're if you're the keeper, you might be taking a chance there that that ball might be knocking onto the post and you're diving. You know, there's, you can't really blame him for not giving That's up in the play. That. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that either, actually. Yeah, you're right. Essentially, I just want to make it clear. I don't. I absolve him of any blame. I don't think he's done anything wrong. But people have made no. out like it was the worst attempt to make a save ever. Well, I mean, no, I think you're right. you've had examples in the past of goalkeepers who are just sort of like taking the mick a bit. Wasn't there a Hemel Hempstead goalkeeper um, not too long ago who died yeah, there was some way? A shot that went about yeah. fifteen yards wide, and he sort of did a full dive it's- to. <laughs> You're only really mocking it if there's a terrible effort that they're, they're missing. It's t- you're, yeah. not really getting, you're not really getting much out of them if you're mocking a goal that goes in. You know? No, that's a good point. A lot of the time, goalkeepers feel like they have to make an attempt. Otherwise, they will be accused of not trying their utmost to get there. I think in this case, yeah, it just I, felt like he was making that attempt, you know, <laughs> way, too, so way too late. It looks a bit silly, but, you know, like it's he's, he's putting an effort in to get to the ball. So I'd rather that than him stand there with his hands and his hips, so... To be fair, look, he was never getting there no matter what. So, you know, yeah. it doesn't really matter what he does, does it? So, yeah, why not have a little dive? <laughs> exactly. If anything, he's uh, he's put his, um, you know, face in the in the newspapers for a day so people know about who he is, you know, more. So he's he's done his, um, his chances of, you know, uh, improving his uh, stature 
no harm at all. Yeah, maybe he'll get a, a podcast appearance somewhere after this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, maybe. Maybe. Ben Foster will have him on. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think Troy Dean is doing anything now, so... Uh, well, there sure. you go. True that. But uh, just to continue on from the defensive stuff... I think a lot of the conversation um, during the game was kind of revolving around, especially defensively, Ryan Porteous and his um, his position, his role, his decision making. What, what do we what do we make of that one? It's another not good today for him. Is good today? It's not a good today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's another not good day for him, um, and increasingly this seems to be the case. It's possibly one where he's a little bit unlucky and if you weren't already preconditioned by the fact that you know he's had a rick in him this season and and they tend to come about when he dives in or is is a little bit rash then you might not be so quick to pan him or the the fan base might not be so quick to pan him and that's one way of looking at it but I, I think you've got to say it reflects badly on him and it's a trend so what's happened in the last where are we now well year essentially between him arriving and looking like the answer to some of our problems at centre back to now where you think he is one of the problems at centre back because I think we can't kind of sweep it under the carpet you say under the carpet there <laughs> no way, did I? <laughs> it's okay. I think it's like carpet. Okay. All right, that's good. Um, what what I will exactly. say on um, on Porteous there, I think the the real thing with him is he's got this tendency. Obviously, when when we're out of possession, we're kind of holding our shape, or even you know at times we're in transition as well. He's he's very quick to drive out of defence and, and apply pressure. And I think sometimes that there's an element of a, or a hint of the fact that this is a tactical decision. We use him Porteous. He thinks a bit more mobile. Is it going to break up the opposition flow if you apply pressure quickly, make a striker, you know, make a play in the ball, whether it's take a touch, lay off, beat him, whatever. We've seen Porteous be rolled in those situations a few times, which is a problem, give away the fouls, or just be kind of knocked out of, of the play. You know, the pass goes around him and, and we're in trouble. It does work sometimes, we've seen it. But in the situations in particular, there's one, I can't remember the exact minute to refer you to, but there was, there was one phase of play in the first half, I believe, where we're containing, we're dropping back on the edge of our box, the ball comes into midfield, everyone's kind of within vicinity of their man, but for some reason, Porteous comes driving out to put, apply pressure on the ball and then drops back in, has no impact, just loses that shape. And it just seems like such a risk. Uh, you know, I had this conversation on, on Twitter during the game. Like, I think it's fair to say, you know, he's, he's, I, I has to be in some ways being instructed to do that, or at least allowed to. The question's maybe over the decision-making of when to apply that or when to do it, but it does seem a huge risk to, to keep going with. Uh, and one that's it's cost us a few, a few goals this season, or at least a few big chances. What are we thinking there? Justified? I essentially, I think you're absolutely right, Jordan. And everything needs to be some introspection, reflection, whatever it is on, on, on that front to help eradicate this. Um, he has always shown kind of no lack of inclination to step up and dive in, you know, separate things, but kind of similar kind of tone of defending. Um and you do wonder at some point, like, are you reflecting on your own performances and seeing what is happening? Um, so if you and if you're not, then why is the coach not looking at this as well? So yeah, I don't I, I don't disagree with you. 
Okay. Tom, you wanted to talk about set pieces and why Bristol City were pretty good from corners. And it's actually been a, a theme this season, I think. We've been pretty poor at uh, dealing with corners and, and pretty poor at taking them as well. What, what can you uh, expand upon that, Tom? Yeah, I don't necessarily have the answer. And it was more of a question and, and probably for one for you, Jordan, not to give you all the heavy lifting. But obviously, it has been a problem, as we know. Um, and Bristol City seemed to really exploit it. There were several chances that Rob Dickey had from corners, a couple of free headers. Um, we've talked about the merits of zonal marking versus man marking versus a hybrid system. We've obviously appointed Gianni Vio as our set-piece coach. I don't know if he's working kind of full-time or if it's a part-time role, and you can't expect him to come in after a few weeks or whatever it's been and kind of uh, revolutionise it completely so that we score from every corner like a football manager cheat and don't concede from any. But it still seems to be a bit of an issue. I just wonder what you thought was the the root of that for, from a defensive point of view, certainly. Yeah, I mean, defence, like, is in the defensive issues, the root of the defensive issues? Uh, sorry, as in why are we so poor defending set pieces? I just, I honestly, it feels like a, it feels like a weird cultural thing with this team. We just struggle to really apply ourselves to that phase of the game. I think we we, we do lack a little bit of the the sharpness and awareness you need in the box to be proactive and, and defend. I think that's that's something we've always criticised in regards to defending zonally. You know, that's the the problem. If you're not 100% committed to executing that zone zone of defence, then you're more likely to get exploited. So. It's it's a little bit of a risk. I think um, you know we have a fairly consistent change in the back line or kind of the, the the key figures you look at defending set pieces. You know you think about who are the who are the main parts of defending from a set piece. Obviously your goalkeeper, your your, your back line generally all going to be somewhat involved. Whether that's you know defending on the post or if it's kind of being a direct attack with the ball like the centre backs. Um, oftentimes your centre forward, your striker is going to be occupying a pretty crucial position. Um, and all, th- all of those positions change a lot. You know, the fullbacks are changing fairly frequently. The centre-backs are changing fairly So that, I think that doesn't help, especially um, in a zonal system where you have a very specific role um, rather than just kind of picking up the man, which is much easier to, to, to change if you're coming in and out of the team or coming off the bench and, and, and whatnot. Um, but I think that, honestly, that seems to be the main problem. It's not that we don't have players that have, physically capable of winning the ball or, or getting to the ball in the right situation. It's just we're not doing it. So I think we need to still address that. It's not solved. Um, also, we've come up against a few good teams that are, are quite capable in those positions too, which doesn't help. Um, but we are definitely below league average, I'd say, when it comes to dealing with those those sort of uh, issues. Mm. The, offensive, the offensive element of the set piece is almost kind of more what you're expecting from from bringing in the coach as well you know you're, you're looking for you know a way to increase your, your your probability of scoring goals your chances and just your total goals you're accumulating over the course of the season you know set pieces might only count towards a few goals but that you know, makes a big difference so you have to kind of consider it and take into or take into consideration when it comes to building an attack and I think it's something we've overlooked for quite a long time um, you know in, in terms of structuring that the difficulty is always going to be you have got to rely on the delivery jumping into the box. We don't have a consistent delivery taker. You know, we, you don't really know who should be taking corners and you look at the, the lineup and because the team changes a fair amount, there's not that one set piece taker that you're always going to kind of go to, which doesn't help. Um, I, I was speaking to actually a, a set piece coach about our problems 
um, not too long ago, and I was asking, you know, what because it's you know it's not exactly my area of expertise in terms of from a coaching perspective, but um, I said, you know, what do you do if you've got a team like Watford, you don't really have an outstanding set piece taker, and, you, and your job is to increase that quality of set pieces. You'd think, you know, it's going to be much much harder if you don't really have that that guy. But you know, he, his opinion was that you just have to kind of coach around it. You might look to be, you know, chipping the ball in there um, rather than trying to get that kind of perfect cross in, that outswinger. Just just less accuracy, obviously, but just chip it in there a little slower, easier to defend. But you can negate some of that with um, some good blocking to free up, you know, your target man or or whoever to create space and, and win that first contact. But it, it's it's something we have, to, we have to deal with unless we plan to address it in the window. So, you know, there's still a chance we bring someone in. If you're, if you're a in this recruitment team, you've got to be kind of considering that as a, as a factor when you're bringing a player in, especially if it's someone that's going to be starting a lot of games. So um, it, it's a tough one, but we're, tr- we're clearly trying to do some something positive, at least offensively. Mm. Offensively, was you surprised that Vradovic was selected ahead of Bio, considering that Bio was back from the ban? Yes and no. I think we've rotated them pretty regularly this season anyway. Um, and I think with the fact that we've kind of had to go with him in the last few games, apart from obviously when Healy played, um, I think there's kind of something in the continuity. We've seen a few little bits, little occasions where he's perhaps been a bit more rounded than we've expected. Um, and he is certainly more of a goal threat if we get the delivery right into him. So no, not not hugely. Um, I think the the thing we've got now is hoping that they are given some uh, assistance in the in the in the coming. What have we got? It's the first of February. The transfer window closes, isn't it? And it's the twenty second today. So yeah, in the next week and a bit, we need to we need to get some assistance in there. That and hopefully someone that does the best of what Bio does and the best of what Ryovich does. Yeah, I thought he was pretty poor. Um, not good at all, honestly. I think it's just the, it's the same problems, and it's you know like, again we're at our, our Ravich minute now, but it's just too loose. Just everything's too loose. The ball's kind of bouncing off, and he's not really physically imposing himself. All the same um, issues. I don't really want to kind of just beat it into the ground and bore everyone to death listening to it again. But yeah, it's kind of one of the negative Ravich performances. You know, maybe I know, I know the argument is he looks much better coming off the bench and, and whatnot, but you you can't really convince him to be a, an impact player like that for the entirety of his career here. So I think you have to find a way to improve there, improve him or, or improve in terms of the, the depth of the position, which, you know, judged on uh, kind of the news that's coming out as we're discussing this, we, we're potentially looking at doing. Mm. One person that has uh, exited is Reese Healy. Um, Val gave his thoughts about uh, Healy to the Watford Observer, and he was very open, wasn't he, Tom? Which um, you don't always see from a from a manager, so it was refreshing in some sense. But it gave us a, a, an idea as to why Reese Healy um, has has moved on to Huddersfield. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said at the time, you know, on one hand, we need to stop signing players that just so clearly don't fit with what the coach wants to do. And and by that, I'm not saying give the coach total autonomy on recruitment because that's not the right approach either. There needs to be a bit of a hybrid there. But, you know, clearly he is not the right type of forward. Um, You know, it's one thing saying we'll sign exactly the player you want. It's another thing saying we'll sign a striker that fits the mould that you want. And I think that's what we need to be doing and having that collaborative collegiate process between everybody. And we're led to believe that that will be the case with Ismail going forward. 
given the people that have left. So hopefully that is the case. Um, but to give the club credit, and they have been doing this more and more over the last year, it was communicated why this has happened and what should happen from here on out, which obviously you know takes me back to my previous point about someone who sign, signing someone who does the best of what Bio and Rajevic both do and, and bring another striker in. Um, there were a lot of people at the time who were frustrated, annoyed, worse, that we hadn't got a, a replacement lined up and announced immediately. I, I don't think that's necessarily a big issue. Uh, the point I made at the time on Twitter was that uh, Reese Heed was our first signing. We signed him in June and he was arguably the worst fit of any of them. So it's not about rushing it, but it clearly is about getting it right. Um, we're obviously in a restricted window to do it and that makes it hard. So to be honest with you, I'm actually, although I would want a striker and whatnot, I'm not going to be fuming. I'm not going to kick off if we don't do it. I think I'd rather see us take someone on loan between now and the end of the season to fill a body because that's all Reese Healy was really and truly. He wasn't an option. The fact that he started against QPR and then was sold a few days later was a, you know, kind of massive misdirection. Um, so, yeah, I'd rather us, I'd rather us not lay down money for someone and get stuck with them in the way that we have with Bio and Rajevic, who between them have cost more than six million if reports are to believed. Uh, and neither of them are quite, you know, fit for purpose that we want. Um, it's it's about learning from those lessons. So, yeah, I think for the best, long answer, but uh, best for everybody that he moved on. He wasn't getting a chance. I said I thought he'd probably leave this month. The fact that we've managed to make some money on a guy that cost us nothing on the face of it is good. And perhaps that was part of the reason why they signed him. They took a punt on him early on and thought, you know, if Ishmael likes him and he uses him, great. And if he doesn't, he'll have some resale value, resale value, sorry. But um, yeah, just a very sort of strange Watford career all over very quickly. I can't remember anyone signing and leaving so quickly, which is actually a lie because I can immediately think of Martin Devaney, who we signed and sold in the same summer when he fell out with Eddie Boothroy. But anyway, doesn't happen often. How much do we think we've actually made from this transfer, Jordan? From Healy? Um, well, I think they probably, I mean, I think the fee reported was a little high. I don't think it was actually 2 million. I think it was closer to to 1.5. And we, we put down probably, well, around three to 400,000 on bringing Healy in to begin with, and, you know, all, all in. Not the contract itself, but with uh, signing on bonuses, agent fees, and so on. So he wasn't free. You know, when we talk about free transfers, obviously it's not completely free. You're going to increase those aspects of the deal to kind of compensate for that a little bit. Um, so you know, we probably brought in close to a million though, which is which is obviously decent business. No, and it will be spread over time, obviously. But a lot of people feel like he didn't really get an opportunity, and that he had more to give. And um, it's hard to argue against that, really. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, it's just it's just a bad fit. Not that he couldn't have worked here, but you know, it's just a it's another example of of kind of short term fragmented recruitment strategy, which doesn't always pan out. Often, more than not, when there's not as much thought put into it necessarily as what as what there needs to be. Obviously, it's quite early on that he was brought in, but um, yeah, it's just really kind of a a result of that in my mind. Does it make you feel that the the Healy start against QPR was his last chance to impress or? I actually get the impression, based on what, based on what Ismail was saying, I get the impression that he wanted to. I think he wanted to keep Healy around, actually, in, in some ways. I think he maybe just 
didn't maybe they just didn't agree on the role that that he would have in the squad in terms of if, if that was fair and like you know I think Healy wanted to be starting games somewhere and feels like he, sh- he could and should be and I think Ismail kind of had a little bit more of a, a lesser kind of importance on his role in the team and I don't think he necessarily saw him as that that player uh, and we needed him at the time. I mean, I think we were in a, a part of the season where the two strikers around him weren't really... Oh, I mean, we, obviously, Rashevich has had mixed performances and Bios kind of also have been the same. So it was an opportunity for Healy and he, he didn't quite take it. But um, I, I just think that kind of inclusion, those starts, kind of a little bit of a, a kind of hint that you'll be getting more playing time. I just don't think it's enough. I think he needs to be out there playing and, and that's ultimately what he decided upon. Fair enough. Fingers crossed that he doesn't come back to score against us when... Uh, we play Huddersfield. Um, another player who has been um, talked about as as potentially leaving. We spoke about this before, I think, with uh, Ipswich's interest in Melissa Ryovic. But um, Platburn have apparently entered the fray as well. But is this just um, transfer speculation and, and chat, or, or is there something genuinely to this that we that we think? I don't see. It. I find it. Weird that he's been linked with two clubs this month, as well. You know that to me. Although his agent has now come out and said, "Oh, there's nothing in it," blah blah blah. It does kind of smack a little bit of someone trying to put his name out there. I don't know what you guys think, but you know he wouldn't be a, as I just said with Healy. Wouldn't be a, a kind of a given candidate. It wouldn't be a given that he'd be a candidate to move this month, having only just signed. You know, he's played plenty, unlike Healy. He's scored goals for all his faults. You know, if, you, if you'd never seen him play, you would assume, oh, Watford aren't likely to let him go. Um, and they're probably more committed to him than we are as, as supporters. So I, I do find it a little bit weird. And I was listening to a podcast the other day, I think it was not the top 20, and they were talking about, they touched upon it and the fact that George Hurst at Ipswich, and I know we mentioned Blackburn now, but, you know, just flitting back to that and said that, they were looking for someone to do what George Hurst did because he was very good at bringing people into play and using his body and so on. And I just thought, well, if there's genuinely any Ipswich interest, then they cannot have watched a minute of him um, because he just can't do those things. So, you know, it does make you wonder. And that one does seem to have kind of gone dead very quickly. So my position is unchanged. If we got a good offer for him, I would let him go on the basis that we would then be able to bring someone else more suitable in. But I, I just do think there's something a little bit fishy about it all. Mm. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, with one gone, we certainly do need to bring somebody in. And there were reports floating around yesterday and also today, and we weren't really sure if we were going to be able to talk about it. But we have now seen uh, a tweet from the legendary Fabrizio Romano, who has uh, said this. He understands Watford have agreed uh, a deal to sign Emmanuel Dennis from Istanbul, Bazak Shahir. A surprise return agreed on loan until June as he accepts to take a 70% pay cut to return and help Watford, a medical booked for Tuesday. Um, so, guys, uh, your immediate response to, to this one. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Um... It's, 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 a, it's a big move. I think it's going to be met with a lot of positivity. Obviously, Dennis was extremely productive here. Um, we even got a, a nice little taste in the championship just before he left uh, a couple of seasons ago as well, didn't we? So, you know, I think it's it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, obviously, the report there is taking a pay cut. That's a little bit of favour as well with uh, with Watford fans. To, they wants to come back. It's a good opportunity for him too, you know. Um, if he comes here and does well, then he's he's putting himself back in the window to to get a move back into uh, back into the Premier League potentially or just to, to a level he feels he should be playing at. So I'm very curious. You know, offers something completely different. Really looking at the options we have in the four positions, he should be our best you know our best attacking player now. Really, um, he's going to offer you a lot. So I'm very interested. You know, obviously, a lot of reports around the time he was here was was to do with his attitude, and he wasn't very well liked in the squad, and and, and so on. So I'm curious as to how that works with Ismail, who seems to be quite against those sort of characters. Then again, you know, it's a very different team, very different group of players, very different group of coaching staff. You know, don't forget the play, the, the coaches that Ismail, or sorry, that um, Dennis was working under during that real turbulent season, that relegation season that he played the majority of his football for us in. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, though. I think it's definitely a worthwhile risk to take and we could have gone down a lot of worse avenues in terms of replacing uh, Reese Healy. He's currently on loan at Istanbul, Bazak Shahir from Forest, right? Correct. So I take it he didn't play a minute for Forest this season, otherwise he wouldn't be able to play for us. Yeah, I think they omitted him from their squad at the start of the season, didn't they? It's a surprising one. I must admit, not um, for any other reason than you would have thought he would have been way out of our financial reach. Um you know, he ever, it's a, 
Oh, wants to be here, right? Good, good on him. He's he's had a hard time since he left. I think he was probably dealt a fairly hard hand by or fairly tricky hand by Forrest, given how many players they signed. Quite a few kind of forward attacking players um, two summers ago, then January again, and then last summer just gone. So you know, it's not worked out there. And then he's not played a, a massive amount in Turkey either. Eight appearances by the looks of it. So perhaps he just wants to kind of rekindle a bit of love for it and you know form and whatnot um over the next six months without kind of committing to anything and and go from there so yeah i think it's an exciting one and if we can find the right position within the team for him and and get the best out of him you know he's got the potential to be pretty devastating in the championship i'd say that little glimpse we got um was it sheffield united at home that he and uh ishmael saw and jao pedro all started in the championship and you know there are moments where they were just on a different plane to sheffield united entirely and they just ran absolute riot so yeah it's a, a shock and potentially a real shot in the arm I do think if he plays to that level to the level that he knows capable of I think he's a player that Ismail really really like he, he can do everything you know he can work really really well off the ball his pressing's really good his, his energy's great he's tireless he's, he's just he just is he, he plays with such a tempo and such an energy um, when he's doing when he's playing well he's just it's such an asset for the team you know if we can get close to that Dennis that version of Emmanuel Dennis then you know we'll be in really good stead and he He's, he's going to have some ups and downs, I'm, I'm sure. You know, it's not going to be easy for him, I would say. It's not played a tremendous amount of football, as you, as you kind of mentioned there as well, Tom. But you know, I'm interested to see how Ismail deals with a player like Dennis. I know we've had the loser situation and so on, but, you know, a player that's coming in theoretically wants to be playing football here. I'm, I'm curious as to the kind of how he motivates him and kind of how he handles him and, and also what role exactly he'll play. You know, he can play wide, he can play centrally. I think you'd expect him to play centrally, but the fact that he gives you some some versatility you know we, we talk about the, the wingers that Ismail's been using the way we've been trying to you know, build that attack from the wing having this type of forward that can fluctuate between you know it allows you to, to to get that winger a little bit more central pick up that space and have some more rotation I think it gives us a lot of a lot of variety in attack and it, it could be quite interesting to, to see how it pans out so yeah I think people can be positive about it I, I'd say kind of temper expectations a little bit I think I've seen a few already going super overboard about this deal but it's definitely a positive one it's one that we probably didn't expect just a you know a couple of weeks ago not currently featuring for Nigeria at the minute so um is available to to play from from the off I imagine exactly yeah medicals books for this week apparently so how um how is he likely to fit in with the way that we've been playing well I think the striker position is going to be the one that he's going to be looking to fill but you know as I said the the variety and attack that it gives us the way we can we can move around in game is important you know you, you look at some of the players we've we've got on the in on the wings there now, Spria likes to drift inside centrally. He works really well as, you know, a, a player that can have some intelligence in his movement and not just kind of be too stagnant. I think that's something we see with, with Radovic too. You know, he, he occupies that central position. He's often trying to kind of find that far post and Spria will look for him. But Spria really comes alive and you've got a mobile forward that's running in behind, kind of making those angles and allowing him to, to find that pass. And I think that's a really good asset to have there. You know, as well as the kind of more direct options you have on the left for someone like Ken Semmer. You know, if Ken Semmer has to get central and, and get into the box, he can, he can be affected there too. But he works really well with interplayers, you know, in, in a different sort of way. You know, it might be more simple with a one-two and driving into space. But I think they thrive off someone that offers 
a variety of movement. Um, he can take the ball in different areas. He's actually pretty competent in the air too. There's nothing to stop you putting a cross in with Dennis. We've seen what he can do there. Nothing aware in Norwich in the Premier League, kind of a good example of that. He's not afraid to, to get involved in that capacity and just a real kind of complete picture of a forward on his day. So I think you can really do what you want with him and that's partly what I'm interested to see um, what Ismail does because he's got a few options now. Tom, when he was here last, there were reports uh, around his character. Um, reports that I think were unfounded, but um, the reports were there nonetheless. And some people will say there's no smoke without fire. What's your opinion on that? And do you think that that potentially could harm or not um, the, the the side, especially given the, uh, the fact that we've recently got rid of somebody who was reportedly, and again, this is all just you know conjecture, uh, uh, harming the side with his attitude in Imran loser. So what's your thoughts there? I think you've stressed the key point there, which is this is all kind of reportedly and what have you, you know, rumours and tittle-tattle and, you know, none of us actually know. Um, and I think as Jordan said, I think it was Jordan said, you know, um, Ismail would have to probably believe, be convinced that he was the right sort of character to to have around the place. Um the stuff beforehand, I think, kind of emanated as much as anything from uh, two things. One, his time in the Nigeria setup when he was a bit younger and there was seemingly something of a fallout where he was kind of, you know, told he wouldn't be called up again anytime soon. And then I think, was it when he was in um, Belgium when he was a little bit younger, there was some kind of suggestion that there. But again, you know, these all come through kind of reports that have been translated and, and rehashed and whatnot by news aggregators, you know, that's if there's any truth in them in the first place. But I think it's one of those things that was kind of repeated over and over, off repeated in, and kind of manifested into reality that he had a he had a bad attitude. But I think to have scored the goals he did and got the assists he did, because he got a lot of assists, which probably gets forgotten, and put in the performance he did in such a dysfunctional chaotic poor team managed by three managers was it that went down um you know to do all to kind of ride all that and and play the way he did albeit there's a bit of a dip um suggests to me that there's just nothing in it he's he's clearly a pretty um you know committed hungry individual so he can i think it can only be a good thing also, if he is, if he is a, if he's not, if he is a kind of difficult character to work with, you know, that's, that's the, let's see what the manager can do with him. Let's see how he manages it. I'm, I'm curious. And you know, ultimately, as you, as you said there, Tom, he, he has a difficult season. I'm sure there's a lot of bad attitudes in the squad that season. In fact, we probably know there was. You know, playing under the, the coaching regimes they had to play under was probably, you know, a very difficult environment for, for lots of players. But the one thing that remained consistent, he was, he was he was productive, and you can't really complain too much if that's still the case. And you know, obviously, you got to factor in what other impacts that kind of a negative attitude has on, on other areas. But if he's here scoring goals, that's that's ultimately what's going to be most important for us. You know, if he's if he's elevating the performance of the team, then you know we have to try and find a way to cope with it. But um, you know, don't forget too. You know, I think he always put a good amount of effort in on the pitch, you know, whether it comes to scoring goals, assisting as you say, but also just, just work rate in general. And he also did still play in that, in that championship season, the first game, even though just one game, I think, but he didn't have to, and he did play that night to help the team. And I think you have to kind of look at those as well when it comes to trying to assess and judge a character of a guy that we don't really know. We're just going off rumors and reports and, 
Um, what he does on the pitch is kind of our best way of judging the impact he has. Mm, he looked good as well in that championship game. He did. I think we're all quite disappointed to lose him. Um, Jordan, I don't expect you to know the ins and outs of how Nottingham Forest played uh, last season, but it didn't work out for him there and he got a good amount of game time. Um, what do you think was the reasons why he didn't work there and would any of that translate to here or would it be a completely different story? It was, I mean, it was a, it was a very different set. He didn't have the freedom. He didn't have the... Uh, the freedom of position to expect him to have or he'd want to have to really flourish. I think it was quite a structured system at first and just wasn't didn't really fit particularly. You know, obviously Giraldi was it was Giraldi who was there when he signed him, wasn't it? At Forest. And Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think Felipe Giraldi was was the lieutenant with the the um, head of recruitment at the time and it didn't work out well. Obviously, you know, the influx of players. Like there was a quite a period of time where clearly it was a a question as to what was the starting eleven? How do you get these players in? How do you kind of mix and match? And you know, Dennis just didn't look like the Dennis we saw the year before at, at Vicarage Road, and they just didn't really get the time to kind of work his way back into the team. And you know, maybe that's where we start to see some some negative aspects of his personality. I'm not, I'm not too sure, but ultimately, I think it's an extremely difficult situation for any of those players to to really thrive. And there's a lot of working out to be done, and he just kind of came off on the the raw end of it. I'd say so that, that from the outside, that seemed to be my perception. Did you get any? more than that Tom yeah I, I, th- I think that's fair they obviously sign a lot of players Forrest and, and do every single um, transfer window the reporting at the time on the Athletic who are one of the, the few clubs um, who have still got a dedicated reporter is that he was kind of given chances periodically and just didn't take the most of them in those moments and they that and that kind of led to a loss of faith I suppose from Steve Cooper and him and and that was that um it's uh a little bit of a worry I guess that he's not played a lot of football recently consistently and you know not from a fitness point of view I even mean I just mean from a kind of sharpness confidence point of view but I think that is maybe going to be negated to some extent by coming back to Watford. You know, he's going to get a hero's welcome when he comes back. You know, any kind of misgivings anyone has about him will be forgiven, I would have thought, like that. And um, there'll be, as you say, a lot of expectation on him. So, yeah, it's weirdly exciting as far as Watford transfers goes. I said as far as there, didn't I? Apparently I can't speak tonight. Apparently can't use my tongue correctly. Okay, then, so we, it seems like we're we're pretty positive about this um i must stress that it hasn't been made official and um the 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 great man has got things wrong in the past i mean at one stage jared pedro was going to newcastle and and that didn't happen so um you know he has got things wrong in the past but it feels like this one might be uh might be genuine so be pretty excited yeah um obviously it's not uh quite the end of the transfer uh, window yet, but we are building up to it. Is there any other business that we would like to see or that we, I suppose the, the, the real question is that we realistically think might happen. A lot of people have um, been pointing fingers in the direction of right back, but I think uh, Val mentioned uh, in a recent chat with uh, the Watford Observer that um, he was pretty happy with right back, which um, upset a few people, Tom. Yeah, I mean, it caught me by surprise. He was kind of glowing, and I suppose you've got to be about Tom Delibashiro at right back, but I don't think anyone can look at the way he's 
done there, and this is no slight against him, and say that he's any kind of solution there. We we do need someone else um, if Ngakia is going to be out much longer because you can guarantee one thing about Jeremy Ngakia and that is that he will get injured. So we will end up back here again. Um, it's that simple. Um, Deli Bashiro should be in midfield. Yeah. Jordan, is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I think that's pretty fair. So are we surprised that there's not going to be any movement at right back, at least in January? I mean, you've got to pick your poison in some ways, right? I guess they've got a certain budget they can use and I think they're going to be looking at maybe a midfield spot too, Imran Loser being off and, and so on. And there's rumours of other players potentially being out the door. Tom Inns was talked about, wasn't he? Potentially yeah, that's right, yeah. Window. So I think you kind of got to be a little bit flexible with how you how you operate and who you bring in. You know, you might have three spots, you can bring in one or two players. So look at what you've got in the squad and assess kind of what the pros and cons are in kind of each position individually you know look at someone like Dennis that might give you two options there you give yourself a bit of cover at striker and also give yourself some cover on the wing if needed too so maybe that gives you flexibility to address um, the midfield or potentially even the fullback you know he might have said that he's happy with it but I'm sure you know these things can change very quickly and we still I wouldn't rule us out of looking at that if an opportunity arose that, that we thought was worthwhile if Tom Innes does end up finding another club this uh, January, is, is it going to be a surprise or, or do you think that it's just not really been his, uh, a short his time here? Wasn't it? Worth a risk. I think he could have had a bigger part to play at times, but you know we've got something out of him and if we move on, then we, we move on. I don't think too many people will be too, too disappointed. No, Tom, do you feel the same? Yeah, another one that's a bit of a calculated gamble, I think, right? If he works out, brilliant, he only costs 50k and if he doesn't, Oh, well, never mind, he only costs 50k, but he's not playing. And you would you would think that with Dennis coming in, that's another competitor on the kind of wide, um, in the wide areas, you know, not necessarily a left-sider, but certainly another wide player. Um, I reckon that that's got some, probably got some legs in it. So central midfield that we think is the area that they're going to look to add if there's going to be anything else? Maybe left side centre back as well, or left side centre half. That yeah, I think yeah, that too. I think we can get by in midfield. Midfield would be a nice to have rather than um, priority. Okay, well let's well, let's hear your arguments for each one then. Why why left side to centre back, Tom? Just because I think we've only got four centre halves. Three of them are right sided. One of them is as we discussed at the top having some difficulties in Porteous. One of them's Pollock, who's never convinced. And the other one is um, Sierra Alta, who always gets injured uh, and, and seems to be behind Pollock. Any, uh, not Pollock, sorry. Sorry, behind Porteous anyway. So, yeah, I, I would, I'd say for the balance, you want you want right-sided on the right and left-sided on, or left-footed on the left. Um, so it just, it just seems like a fairly natural one for me. And Jordan, why should it be the midfielder? Well, I, not in necessarily instead of a bat of us in the back. I think it's just, you know, these are just what's likely. Um, the midfield, we just, we just might need options. You know, I think Tom Bashiro coming in there has helped a lot. Obviously, if he has to play it right back more often, then that's going to limit his, his minutes in, in midfield. 
Shakhtar Tadze can fill in there. We've got, we've got options, but you know I think these are issues or areas you can address. But we technically have enough cover in all positions that we could feasibly think we can get through. You might disagree with it. I, I do as well, but they can convince themselves they can. I think it'll be very opportunistic, depending on what deals arise and you know what they can do in in a, in a favourable manner. In a you know a deal like Dennis, it might not necessarily be you're going out there and identifying these players to, to bring in long term. It's more of a, a kind of summer issue. So just kind of see what's what's going on in the market. Keep a keep the temperature on it, and uh, if something arises, they'll go for it. But I'm I'm not convinced there's any one position they'll be targeting um, very aggressively. Mm. Not one to address this January, but um, left back seems to have been a position that people have been concerned about. Uh, James Morris has the problems that he has is just not being up to the level. But Jamal Lewis, um, who people expected to be up to the level, hasn't consistently shown that I think he's out and out in front by some distance as number one left back and I think he's been good in, in the main after a little bit of an up and down start I just think with uh, those two and Ken Semmer thrown into the mix that it's not something we can afford to be picky over okay fair enough so you don't think it'll be something they'll look at in the summer summer maybe depending on what happens with Lewis who probably yearns too much for us um, but yeah, it'll be somewhere at the earliest. Okay, fair enough. Um, all right, FA Cup up next. Saints at home, probably a, a quite a difficult opposition, but a mixture of first-teamers in there, do you think? Yeah. I think we're going to take it relatively seriously. Southampton probably will as well, bar a couple of changes. It's not the most inspiring game, but you know, it's another one, another feature to watch, another one to discuss, and potential for a bit of um, getting some minutes into the legs of some hopeful new arrivals. Yeah, excellent, excellent. All right then, great stuff. That'll do us then. Um, really exciting news there at the end about Dennis. Hope that one comes off. Uh, it's been lovely to have you all back together, uh, the trio doing its stuff. Um, if you've enjoyed the, the episode, please do go to uh, give us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. Just go down to the bottom there, give us a rating out of five. We'd really appreciate it. It really helps the uh, the stats for people to find us. The algorithm loves getting reviews and so do we and if we do get one we'll absolutely read it out on the podcast uh, and um, hopefully it's a good one <laughs> um, if you want to follow us on Twitter you can do so or sorry X now it's on, on X you can do so um, at Watford Pod is what we are for the Watford Buzz um, you can also see us uh, individually at Messi Messiano at TB Bedell and at Jordan Weimer I think that's everything anything for you guys no looking forward to uh, catching up in the a few days now. See you later, guys, and um, we'll see you after the FA Cup one. Bye bye. Catch you in a bit. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.